I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you lovebirds out there. We're dedicating today's episode to the lonely and brokenhearted by counting down our 14 favorite Love Gone Wrong movies. Love Gone Wrong, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty much a story of my relationships. <laughs> because here at High on Horror, we don't celebrate love, we celebrate death. Fuck all that savvy shit, am I right? Us and Al, Al Capone like death on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Today we have the lovely Hannah Fierman here with us to discuss the role of the succubus in the VHS segment Amateur Night and the feature-length follow-up Siren. Plus, she tells us about her upcoming directorial effort and a groovy classic celebrates an anniversary. Plus, we're smoking some good shit. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. And now it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment of our show where we discuss which strain we're getting wrecked on in each episode. And today... Uh, I still have the same lemon pepper stuff that I had last week, and it looks like John's found a little something special. Oh, uh, that goji OG from like, or, or no, I'm sorry, actually it was it was the ozone kush. I don't know, maybe two, three weeks ago. I thought it was all out. I went to go chuck the container, and I heard it rattling around, and I was like, "Oh shit, there's some more in here." Hell yeah! That's always good when when you you think you're out and you got some more. It's just as good as finding money, finding weed, shit, you know. But, uh, yeah, man, so look, it's Valentine's Day, so I figure, you know, not really too much is going on in the horror world besides uh, Scream 6 being greenlit, and I, you know, really not going to really go into that. So I figured, like, <laughs> we would just take a second to uh, tell our listeners and each other even, maybe have a bro moment here, just tell each other uh, and our listeners a story about a heartache or some sort of <laughs> something bad that happened to you romantically or some sort of heartbreak you had so our listeners out there who the lonely hearted who we're dedicating this episode to so they have something to sympathize with and to know that you know we understand where they're coming from when they're down and out so uh i'll go first um so i'm not gonna name names um <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna name names but i Statute had uh, limitations <laughs> <laughs> the, this this one relationship was like it literally changed me in several ways i was with this uh woman uh i'm gonna call her d and uh basically i changed everything for her and i mean that like i legit changed everything for her. i cut my long hair i stopped wearing band shirts and horror shirts and movie shirts and started wearing button-ups and like with the rolled up sleeves and khaki pants and like nicer shoes. I had the fucking duck bill hair. I actually fucking did the duck bill with the fucking gel. I turned myself into a total prep because this, this D wanted this out of me always, you know, Oh, I like, you would look better if you did this. You would look better if you did that. You would look better if you did this and this and that. And I was so in love and I was so inexperienced that I just really wanted this chick to like me that you know i didn't realize that she was like slowly in her own way manipulating me into just making me into what she wanted me to be she never liked me for who i was she never wanted me she wanted the idea of this ball of clay that she could mold into who whatever she wanted and somewhere along the way i lost myself and uh, i just looked in the mirror and didn't even recognize myself anymore and uh the straw that you know broke the camel's back for me was uh i was supposed to go to this party with her 
and she you know calls me up hey babe i'm sick i'm not gonna make it out tonight i don't want to go to the party and then she you know tells me you know i don't want you to go either though because like i'm gonna be jealous like i wanted to go so you stay home too and just keep me company on the phone so i'm like cool okay and uh you know she stops answering the fucking phone and i'm thinking oh you know she probably whatever you know whatever she might be you know she's sick i gotta give her a break and her mom answers i'm sorry her sister answers and says you know oh you know, she's sleeping because she doesn't feel well. So I'm thinking, oh, great, you know. So I'm, you know, just sitting here waiting, not going to this party that I wanted to go to, you know, so, uh, so I can talk to this girl that I'm mad madly in love with, and uh, she's sleeping. So I'm just sitting there bored. Decided to go hang out with my friend Danny, and uh, <clears throat> we go to his house, and uh, one of our mutual friends was posting pictures on MySpace, and, and uh, you know it's old when it's MySpace. Yeah, and uh, they were posted pictures on MySpace, and it was pictures of the party. And lo and behold, there was D at the fucking party in in one of the pictures, sitting on this dude who I hated. It's fucking lap. Well, you got to move him out of your top eight friends after that. <laughs> so that was it. I kind of I, I showed up to the party and just kind of like just just snapped just totally cut a wrestling promo on her right in front of everybody i swear to god i even ripped Listen my button-up shirt me. off i even it was like symbolic because i even ripped my button-up shirt off and underneath <laughs> i had like a halloween shirt it was just at the pumpkin design of the movie poster so figuratively so, ad literally for you figuratively like my outer me is back you bitch <laughs> you know but uh i literally I, yeah and that was when I, I went i actually just bawled my eyes out because i the worst part about it was once i had left her i felt good about myself but when i looked at myself in the mirror i didn't recognize who i was anymore and that just made me feel horrible because i realized like what depth are you willing to go to to like have somebody like you and to want to feel love and that relationship is why i have that's why I've become the way I have. It absolutely ruined me towards people. and But I truly believe that uh, if I hadn't had that relationship, I would have never have met my wife. Because it's like Dexter said about Rita in season one. The reason that they work together so well, him and Rita work together so well, is because they're both equally as damaged. You know, my wife has had past traumas too, and we work very well together because of that. And uh, I think that had I not gone through this, I wouldn't be where I am now. So I'm thankful for the journey. But still, fuck you, D. <laughs> um, yeah, I. A lot of people in my personal life know there's uh some stuff I can't really share. Yeah. But I will say, um, people have told me I've been brought up in a college class. If you Google my last name, uh, my court case set the precedent in Delaware for uh rules on engagement rings, and if you have to return them. Oh shit. Yeah, if you just Google my uh, last name, the court case comes up on Google. And uh, somebody I know said they were doing paralegal work, and they messaged me. I didn't talk to them in years. They're like, yo, your name just got brought up in my college course. <laughs> but, yeah, like apparently it set the precedent in Delaware. So, I mean, you can always look at that. Um, the other one I would say, I guess more of a lighthearted one, is uh, there was this girl I was talking to for months, and then we decided to finally start dating but she lived about like a 45 minutes away, something like that. So like we didn't like hang out all the time. And uh, I actually knew her sister and I was like, oh, did you tell your sister that we're dating? And she was like, oh, no, I haven't told her and don't tell her. And I'm like, why? That's weird. Like, why well, can't like I tell your sister that like we're dating? She's like, no, just like don't do it. I'm like, that's really weird. 
Well, I ended up talking to her sister and I was like, oh, did your sister tell you, tell you that we're dating? She's like, you're not dating my sister. And I'm like, yeah, I am. She was like, no, you're not. And I was like, okay, yeah, I am. And she was like, no, she has a boyfriend. His name's blah, blah, blah. And then I went to her and I was like, are you dating some dude? Like, she's like, this is why I told you not, not to talk to my sister. I'm like, you told uh, me not to talk what? to her because you didn't want to get caught. Like, She's mad at you for talking to her sister. Not mad that. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So that one's more a little lighthearted one. I got some uh, more personal stories that can't be really shared. <laughs> yeah, that's fine if you don't want to, but you know. As, as long as, you know, everybody out there knows that, you know, we know what it's like to, it's not all, it's not all sunshine and green grass and, you know, rainbows over the bridge. Love is a brutal thing. <laughs> if we're being honest about it, even true love, you know, John's in a committed relationship, so am I. Love can be, be such a brutal bitch. It, nothing is going to put you through the ups and downs, the highs and the lows like love. And it's important to focus on the, the love stories that, you know, tend to be realistic. And sometimes and they can go wrong. <laughs> they, sometimes they can absolutely go wrong. And it's important that our listeners out there know that you are not alone today. Although John and I are in committed relationships, we have been through the ringer. So, yeah, keep listening. We have some good shit coming. This week in horror history. All right, this week in horror history, we got Skin Deep from 2004. If you want more information on that, just listen to episode 19. We talked to Gabriel Bartolos about that. Uh, Nightbreed from 1990. Classic, classic Clive Barker. Um, the the yeah, book. we'll be talking about Clive. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, the the novel uh, Cabal is like verbatim the movie. Uh, good, good movie. Good book. Uh, highly recommend this movie. The House on Haunted Hill from 1959. Classic Vincent Price. My the, favorite Vincent Price movie is The Abominable Doctor Fibes, but this is close. Nicole tries to watch was the one from like 2001 the or Fonky something. The Johnson one, yeah. Yeah, where yeah. the dude looks like Vincent Price. The, uh, Jeffrey Rush from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. She yeah. gets mad because, like, I've never watched. She's played it, like, 15, 20 times. I've never watched it. I said, I, I believe my last time was, she said, you never watch it. I said, why the fuck would I watch this when I can watch the actual Vincent Price house yeah. on Haunted Hill? It's hard to argue that logic. Uh, the Midnight Meat Train from 2009. I still think that sounds like a porn title, bro. I just Clyde Barker again. <laughs> he's yeah, going he's, he's to be featured prominently to, in this episode. Nothing wrong with that. Too much, no, too much Clyde Barker is never a bad thing. A lot of people don't like the ending. I like the ending. It's just like the ending. I mean, the book is. I just actually read the short story um, recently, and it's it's pretty fucking close. It's pretty close. I like the ending. I like the movie. I dig the visual style of it. Ted Raimi gets fucked up. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty rough one. And Rampage Jackson. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Rampage gets his ass whooped worse than John Jones did to him. Yeah, basically. We got The Silence of the Lambs from 1991. Classic, classic well, movie. Okay. This is going to show you how, like, I latch onto the fucked up quotes. What is the, when you think of Silence of the Lambs, what is the first, like, quote that comes into your head? Well, there's the five of beans one, um, but I always think of just hello, Clarice. That's the one that I always think of. Say, listen, this is the one that pops in my head. Oh, well, she a great big fat woman. 
What? That's the first thing I think of when I hear that. <laughs> what <movie>. the fuck? <laughs> Dude, that line cracks me up every time when I watch it. He's just like, uh, do you know who that is? No. Oh, was she a great big family? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think uh, this is one of those movies that just changed the face of things? Yes or no, deserving of the hype? I say yes. It's like Pulp Fiction. I watch it once. I don't. It's not a regular rotation movie. I watch it once every couple years. And each time before I start it, I go, is it really as good as I think it is? And then I finish the movie and I'm like, damn, that's still an amazing movie. It might be better than I thought it was. Yeah. yeah. That happened. I've watched Pulp Fiction more recently, but it had been like four or five years. And I'm like, is it really that good? Yes. And I'm like, damn, this movie's amazing. <laughs> I can't, yeah, absolutely. Pulp Fiction's amazing. 1993 army of darkness oh yeah groovy gave us uh more of the ash that we got from the ash vs. evil dead series this is where he kind of there's the prequel to all of that my favorite line from this movie is actually uh yo she bitch let's go <laughs> oh man this movie's got so many good lines it it's really where where that ash character really made that character development no no dude the, the quote first you want to kill me now you want to kiss me <laughs> blow <laughs> best quote Dude, bruce campbell just you think eventually he's gonna run out of one-liners but they just keep coming he's just i think this was the evil dead 2 gave us the spark of what was there but i think like nobody really knew until army of darkness what a comedic genius bruce campbell was he really his line delivery is just on point and getting a semi-decent budget yeah right exactly it's I mean, his, definitely the best looking of of the original three yeah absolutely uh, yeah it's definitely the uh, the most polished one it's the least scariest one unfortunately uh but it's definitely got it's it's definitely got its charm i still love this Gave movie. Us boomstick yeah this is my boomstick of course um just so many things about that movie you know like uh just yeah so many things man give me some sugar baby the freaking he gets his little robot hand you know like <laughs> there's so many things about the little mini ashes you know what i mean the drink of the boiling water i mean come on man that's that that shit is just classic that's that's that three stooges humor and the other one we have an underrated remake friday the 13th from 2009 i love that movie man i don't know why people shit on it I do not get it. I, I really don't. I, it's like, I hate to be like sexist or to sound like rude or disgusting, but it's like, there's nudity and sex in all of the Friday the 13th movies. And it's like, I feel that because the people that were at, that were in this movie, like who were, who were nude, were actually good looking, that that's somehow being held against the movie. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but the people, interesting theory. the people who were good looking in this movie, who, who were naked in this movie, were all like very attractive. So it's like, I don't know if it's the uncomfortableness of that, but I don't know. But like there people complain about the sex. It's too much sex. It's like, that's, I mean, I, I can name you any Friday the 13th movie where there's like boobs. They're like, it's, I don't know. I love this movie. I've always liked it. Derek Mears did an amazing job as Jason. I still like Kane Hodder as Jason, but I'm sorry. You can't tell me. You put Derek Mears as Jason in a fight with Kane Hodder's Jason and Ken Kersinger's Jason from Freddy vs. Jason, and I want you to tell me that fucking Derek Mears' Jason wouldn't hold his own. He only went back to non-dead Jason. where he had Fast. To I, I still like in that movie i think my favorite kills the axe when he throws the axe oh yeah, dude that had the biggest pop in the movie theater everybody in the theater was like no dude i mean i don't want 
yeah, I don't know why people didn't like it. I saw it in theaters when it came out and I was happy with it. It felt like, you know, I think I've probably, I'm pretty sure I've said it on here before, but it was pretty much Friday 13th, one, two, and three, all, all in a two hour movie. Yeah. With the, with the first film being like the, literally the like opening credit sequence. Yeah. And, uh, Jason is fierce. Then, yeah. He yeah. Baghead Jason. Then he gets the mask. You get Rambo Jason. You get bear trap Jason, uh, setting traps for you, Jason, uh, bow and arrow Jason. Oh, that sleeping bag one was rough. When yeah. you see her inside the sleeping bag, just cooking her alive, yeah, and just just to use her as bait to lure bull over to her to step into fucking uh, bear trap, yeah, some brutal stuff, man. Awesome All movie. Oh, because they're trying to get the weed. Directed by Marcus Nispel too, who did the 2003 Texas Chainsaw remake and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm sorry, there actually is a movie called Texas Chainsaw, and that movie is dog shit. Um, I'm, that's the 3D one I'm talking about, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Jessica Biel reboot remake um marcus nispel directed that as well he's a very talented director his horror movies tend to be very dark and very like brutal yeah i and i agree with you that i wish that uh we could have got a follow-up i know they had had rumors to follow-ups and then there was nothing for years and then there's the lawsuit now that's settled so hopefully we'll get some kind of jason movie i mean i mean we, we both enjoyed the never hike series yeah, absolutely. They kind of, the fans kind of picked up uh, after this failed reboot. I don't, I still to this day don't understand how people hate this and like the Halloween reboot. I, yeah, I don't, man, I don't get that either. I really do not get that either. Um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I'm not even going to go into more. I'm not going to get into it, but I, I 100% agree with you. I, I really wish that this movie had gotten a, a sequel. I really felt that it was one of those remakes that should have made it. I don't know what happened. Uh, I thought it was the only good remake out of the that out of Freddy, Jason, and, and Michael. Freddy. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I would agree. And, you and know, if you want to include recently the Child's Play reboot, I'd take this one over that. I agreed. I, I, yeah, you got me on that one. Um, all right, so uh, let's get into Puff Puff Ask, the segment of our show where you, the listeners, write in your questions to John and I via social media at highonhorror420 or email at highonhorror420 at gmail.com or through our website. Now it's time for Puff Puff Ask. I'll start here with a question from Jen Price. From Pleasant View, Utah. Sounds like an old folks home. <laughs> wow. <You> talk, <laughs> apparently, I, you say I go on people's places. I'm sorry. Pleasant View, that sounds like an old person's home. It just, Sunshine yeah. Hills. It reminds me. Of, <laughs> anyway, sorry, Jen. Don't mean to insult you know, your hometown or whatever, where you're residing. <laughs> sorry. Um, anyway, uh, Jen Price asks, um, name your favorite horror movie based on a true crime. That's a good question, and I thought about that because there's a lot of horror movies based on true stories. Like, I was going back and forth between, like, The Exorcist and Amityville Horror and things like that, but those aren't really crimes. So, I had to, like, narrow it down. Ultimately, I and I, I think that ultimately it's probably the quintessential true horror, true crime horror film it would be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Um, that would be my answer uh, it, just because it is based on uh, the true crimes of Ed Gein 
It's also, you know, Psycho is as well. Psycho and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre are both based on uh, the killings and the, 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 the decorating with skin and shit that Ed Gein did. Um, Ed Gein dressed up like his mother, hence Norman Bates dressing up like his mother, um, hence Leatherface dressing up like a woman and putting makeup on, all based after the crimes of Ed Gein. So my answer would be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre followed by Psycho. Well, yeah, I I can't disagree with those two as the top of the list. I don't know if it's classified really as a horror movie, but I was going to say a true crime movie that's probably my favorite is Zodiac based on that serial killer. That's like a thriller, but it totally I, it works. Yeah, it's, I, I like it's that a movie a lot, too. It's probably my favorite based on a true crime, but yeah, it's hard to argue against Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's really, those are the top two. I can't. Like I said, I, not, maybe not true stories. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because like the Exorcist would easily wipe Texas Chainsaw off. But if we're talking true crime, I can't think of a better one. Yeah, I I have to agree. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's those are the top two. Um, uh, moving on to our second question here from Tim from Crestwood, Missouri. Crestwood up to no good. <laughs> uh, wanted to know what's an underdog film that we love that very few people talk about and why do, why do we like it so much? Um, one that came to mind for me was vacancy. The, um, uh, uh, back and sale. Yeah. That's a good one. I was trying to think of which, uh, Wilson brother, Luke. Yeah. Uh, they end up at a, uh, remote mot- hotel it came out in 2007. It really flew under the radar. I'd never heard about. It, and then it was on showtime. Uh, but what happens is the people at the hotel like to film uh, themselves killing the residents in there. And there's a lot of, like, just, like, with the tunnels and stuff, a lot of tight, like, it's very claustrophobic watching it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I thought they had some some balls to kill off uh, Luke Wilson's character. Uh, I did not, not expect that to happen. Apparently, I think there was a sequel they made to it. I had no interest in even trying. It doesn't surprise me at all it doesn't surprise me and another one i like uh that i know you're not a big fan of is triangle no i'm not a fan of that one that's a popular movie though it uh i think it runs a little long it kind of gets a little repetitive but uh it's definitely a depressing ass story and and then once well once you kind of understand that it makes it even more depressing i think yeah but I will say they went where you have to pay attention. You have to pay super duper attention to one scene. Right. To right. understand it. But, uh, yeah, I feel like that one's never really talked about. I, I know, I know you're not a big fan of that one though. Yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of that one. Um, I'm trying to think, what was the wording again for this question? The wording was underdog. Uh, let me bring it back up here. Uh, what's an underdog film that underdog. you love that very few people talk about and why do you like it so much? Yeah, your answer I guess solid. I really didn't say why I like it. Well, I kind of did with, with, uh, vacancy more triangle. I just like the mythology story behind it. I'm always, always interested in that and, uh, the repetitiveness and then it's more of a mystery, but, uh, very ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll wrap it up with that for me. Okay. Well, I would say, uh, yeah, I, I would have to give it to Willard from 2003 with Crispin Glover. 
that's the underdog film I'm championing. That's a good one. Yeah, that's I'm championing that movie. Uh, what's I'm sorry, I'm saying it wrong. I'm championing. There we go. I am championing Willard from 2003, uh, starring Crispin Glover. Because why do I like that movie? Because everything about that movie works. It's like whimsical. It's fun, but at the same time, it's serious as shit. And uh, the acting of R. Lee Ermey and Crispin Glover, like bouncing back and forth off of each other is just incredible. Crispin Glover sweating, being nervous, just plays the fucking perfect creep, man. He really does. And Arlie Ermey, just with that drill sergeant mentality and attitude and just his just just demeaning way of talking to people, like, they went together on screen so perfectly. And, uh, man, that was a hell of a remake. And that's just a remake that nobody brings up. And it's funny, it doesn't get brought up during the remake. And it's not really a bad thing because when people talk about bad remakes, you never really hear about it. It's just a shame it's not brought up a lot when people talk about good remakes. Yeah, the only reason I knew there was an original is when it came out, my mom was telling me about the movie Willard because she remembered it from the 70s. And she was, because then I was on, she's like, this isn't the same movie. But uh, I think it's better than the original. Oh, 100%. Crispin Glover is a creepy motherfucker in this movie. He's sympathetic, but he is just like at the same time, he's not. You love him, but you hate him. And it's funny because I actually, Bruce Davison actually played Willard in the original film. And uh, he's not in the 2003 film, but he is the portrait of Crispin Glover's father that's hanging up in the house. So he has like a little cameo in the movie. I thought that was cool. I actually didn't know that till I saw uh, the original Willard years after I had seen the Crispin Glover one. And I saw the painting. on. The, I saw him. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a young Bruce Davison. And then I thought, oh, shit, that was like a cool little, that was a nod to the original making him Crispin's dad. And, yeah, you're talking about Arlie Ermey. Is there a movie he's in where he doesn't play an asshole? Saving Silverman, and I love that movie. He's a, he's kind of an asshole in that. He's funny, though. <laughs> he's funny, though. <laughs> he, I, yeah, from Saving Silverman, they go there and they ask him for advice, and he goes, kill the bitch. I know you'd be pissed off, though, if he was, like, you know, wiping his ass in your yard with your mail, you know, like, you, <laughs> you're using, you know, your... your uh, what was it, your Gianna Michaels newsletter? <laughs> Gianna Michaels newsletter, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> anyway, I think that'll about wrap this up. Uh, so, yeah, as always, you can always send us questions on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at highonhorror420, and send us emails at highonhorror420 at gmail.com, and you can always go to our website, highonhorror.com. Now, let's get into our 14-film countdown of Love Gone Wrong. The best blood stories end in love, and the best love stories end in blood. That's how it goes. If you're lonely today and feeling down, we are here for you. We've been there, and we know what it's like. Sit back and drink some wine, or smoke some bud, or both. Trust us, we're hitting the blunt for you. Now well, I'm hitting us- the bong, so. <laughs> Well, now let us walk you through the 14 best movies to watch on this day that aren't sappy or happy. Hopefully we list a few that you haven't seen, and give you an idea of something to watch today to keep you company on this bullshit commercial holiday. <laughs> Number 14, The Loved Ones from 2009. 
This film hails from Australia, and it is an unsung gem. It's about this beautiful girl named Lola, played by Robin McLevy, who's awkward and wants to take her crush Brent, played by Xavier Samuel, to prom. He rejects her, and that leads to Lola and her father kidnapping Brent and tying him to a chair in the middle of their kitchen and throwing their own makeshift prom where Brent is forced to be her date, her prom date. The more he resists, the more Lola and her father torture the shit out of him. It's hilarious. It's a horror comedy. It's a movie that anybody can enjoy. It's absolutely twisted, but it is charming as hell. And uh, under the instructions of director Sean Byrne, Robin McLevy prepared for the role of Lola by researching the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, as well as watching Misery, Natural Born Killers, and Quentin Tarantino works. At number 13 from 2016, Terrifier. I mean, we've covered Terrifier. <laughs> Terrifier as a love story. I'll get, I'll get to it. I'm, we, we, we've covered Terrifier in depth in our first episode, and we talked to Art the Clown himself, David Howard Thornton. So if you haven't seen our first episode, after you're done here, go back and check that out. Uh, for the uninitiated, the movie's about a killer clown, Art the Clown, who's out on the prowl. For the love gone wrong portion, Art the Clown, again played by David Howard Thornton, he attempts to give the heroine Tara uh, a ring at the pizzeria, and she rejects it. I mean, <laughs> I think I'm stretching it a bit here, but I'll classify that as love love, love gone wrong. <laughs> I mean, I could disagree with you, but I mean, the dark side of me kind of can see the romance in it, so I'll let uh, it go. I'll let it go. Spo and spoiler alert, David did not agree with my theory that, you know, if Tara took the ring, you know everything would have been okay <laughs> so he's not really on board with my theory here uh, yeah well um i was gonna throw a knowledge nug out there but actually instead uh like john said our first episode that we dedicated to terrifier is full of fucking knowledge about terrifier so if you want to learn something about that movie go check that episode out episode one of our podcast number 12 on our love gone wrong list is the segment amateur night from the 2012 anthology film vhs this made our list because it is a great story, and it's about a succubus named Lily, and it's the best segment in the film. It's about three guys, Shane, Patrick, and Clint, who are trying to bring girls back to their hotel room for sex, and they fuck up big time by bringing a succubus into their room. The succubus, played by the beautiful Hannah Fearman, takes a liking to Clint, but it's not meant to be. I remember the first time I saw VHS, this segment was in my head for days. It was the alien segment from the second one, but uh, with this one, it was amateur night. Yeah, this and, uh, I mean, honestly, really, all of them maybe except the last one. Yeah. But, yeah, the first installment was definitely solid. And, uh, yeah, uh, playing a sympathetic succubus is pretty interesting. I don't think I've seen that attempted anywhere else. No, I agree. And uh, in 2016, Lily got her own feature film, Siren, and that gives her a little backstory and somewhat completes Lily's journey. But I would like to see her again at some point. Yeah, and I was going to say in VHS, Patrick's the one who fucks everything up. Like, yeah. We probably, she, she could have handled her business, been done, but no. Pat, Pat, Patrick had to keep trying to butt in. I know. And, and like you said, he fucked everything up. And uh, man, his death is brutal. Shit. And in Siren, that dude. I can't, I lost his name off the top of my head. The main dude that like captures her. 
Oh yeah, I don't remember that guy's name either. <laughs> that dude, that dude, nice fucking goatee. Yeah. There's nobody. Does anybody have that goatee and they're not a bad guy? Like, <laughs> like or a cowboy hat? It's like it's a combination <laughs> of both. Yeah, and uh, the studio was actually pushing to replace Hannah um, in the role of Lily for Siren, but director Greg Bishop insisted that Hannah reprise the role of Lily. I'm glad they pushed for that because. I mean, she just seems perfect for the role. I can't picture anybody else doing that. I don't know if anybody would have. Uh, I don't know if anybody would have made the connection that it was like a follow up to Amateur Night had it not been her playing the role. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, that's the one thing is like, and the creature design. I I really like it with like the wings and it has like the uh, like the feet and the tail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you definitely got to be careful of that tail, though. <laughs> Especially, yeah, watch <laughs> Siren and you'll know what we mean. Oh, I felt uncomfortable watching that. I think that's the whole point, though. I, I was like, oh, God, is it? Is, oh, it is. It's happening. At number 11 from 1981, we have The Prowler. And uh, actually, this movie was filmed not too far away from us. Uh, it was filmed over in uh, Cape May, New Jersey. And uh, the movie showcased Tom, Tom Savini's work like usual. And uh, why is it on the list? Well, on March 12th, 1944, during World War II, Rosemary writes a letter to her boy breaking up with him. Three months later, after attending a graduation dance with her new boyfriend, Roy, they're impaled with a pitchfork by a mysterious man in an army combat outfit. And uh, pretty much any time teens are in love, the Prowler's going to be there. Yeah, the Prowler is... Uh one of the best slasher films uh, of all time. It's in my top four. Easy. Uh, uh, here's a knowledge nug. It's also known as Rosemary's killer. And, uh, Tom Savini actually considers this his best work. He worked on it right after maniac. <clears throat> and also the director, Joseph Zito later directed Friday the 13th port part four, the final chapter due to the success of the prowler. Yeah. Oh, I like the design of the combat outfit. It's iconic. Absolutely. You see it, you know it's Prowler. And there's something uh, there's something unsettlingly creepy about it. Based on the book by Era Levin, this Roman Polanski classic is about Rosemary Woodhouse and her husband Guy, who move into an old apartment building. Guy is a struggling actor, and the neighbors one pause. Guy is a struggling actor, and they neither one have anything going for uh, for for themselves right now they're down on their luck but they have each other that is until guy goes in cahoots with their peculiar neighbors minnie and roman cast of it to gain fame and fortune for turning his wife rosemary over to the devil for rape to impregnate rosemary thinks she's going insane but she's not it's all a giant manipulative scheme to bring the antichrist into the world it's chilling chilling shit I mean, love gone wrong. Is there any, I mean, it's kind of hard to top turning your wife over to Satan to have his baby. Like, uh, yeah. And the drugger and lie to her and just and a gaslighter. It, <laughs> it's not just, I mean, I know it is like the acts that are done are horrible, but it's the constant lying to when she thinks she's losing her mind. Like it's just a real shithead thing to do. Fuck you guy. <laughs> and uh fun, fun little knowledge nug for you. Uh, Rosemary's baby is actually born on June 6, 1966. 6666. Fucking right. At number nine, we have Bride of Chucky from 1998. 
What happens when you take a serial killer's ex-girlfriend finding the doll body and it was last of her serial killers, it was last inhabited by the serial killer ex-boyfriend. She performs a voodoo spell on it and brings it back. Uh, well, nothing good's going to happen. Why do you think it's on this list? <laughs> Chucky and Tiffany are like Bonnie and Clyde if they were murderous dolls. That's a very good way of putting it. Bride of Chucky is one of my absolute favorites of the series. Uh, like these two people should have just never been together. It's nothing good. Well, that's the thing. It's like what it's like. It's like kind of like Sid and Nancy in the sense where it's like <laughs> when they're on the same page, like they are not to be fucked with. They got each other's backs to the fucking limit. But when they're not on the same page, which yeah, is it's, most it's, of the time, which is most of the time, it's the irresistible force meets the immovable object. <laughs> well, uh, Chucky's more of a badass, unfortunately, as we see how that plays out. But yeah, this is definitely like my top three of my favorite of the whole series, man. Um, Knowledge Nug, this was the first one in the series without the words child's play in the title. Also, Ronnie Yu, the director, would later direct Freddy vs. Jason, which is also a badass fucking movie. At number eight on our Love Gone Wrong list is Misery from 1990. This story of obsession is based on the Stephen King novel of the same title about author Paul Sheldon played by James Kahn, who gets into a nasty car accident in a snowstorm. He awakens to find himself in the home of a nurse named Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, who is taking care of him. Annie also explains that she's Paul's number one fan, and soon Paul discovers that Andy uh, that Annie is a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, but in fairness, I would say she would be his number one fan. She's that obsessed with him. Uh, yeah, you can't deny that. Well, uh, Annie learns that Paul's, you know, she learns that Paul is killing off the lead character in his misery novel series that she's obsessed with and ending the book series. And this leads to Paul trying to escape and Annie triple, triple H his ankles. Oh, dude, that's, oh, that scene's still so rough when she just snaps everything sideways we need to see if somebody's ever done a video edit of like time to play the game <laughs> uh anyway uh yeah shit gets crazy some of the best acting you'll see and i still hail this as the best stephen king film adaptation even over the shawshank redemption and the green mile and uh knowledge nug uh jack nicholson was offered the role of paul sheldon but he passed on the project he wasn't sure if he wanted to do another movie based on a stephen king work after what he experienced on the shining at number seven from 1992, Candyman. We all know if you say Candyman five times in a mirror, he'll show up. The origin of his story is all about a love, though, that could never be. Based on Clive Barker's short story, The Forbidden, Candyman was born in the late 1800s. He was the son of a slave who rose to become a prominent artist. He fell in love and impregnated a white woman. The woman's father sent a lynch mob after him. They cut off his right hand, smeared it with honeycomb, attracting bees that stung him to death. And his body was burned and the ashes spread around where his now current day Cabrini Green is. Yeah, man, Candyman is just such an amazing movie. And, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, knowledge nug here. Um, in, in The Forbidden, the book, uh, Candyman is actually a white guy. He uh, He's described as looking jaundiced. And uh, he also wears like uh, pants and a jacket that are that are like that are said to be uh, multicolored and like patchwork, um, as opposed to like the long furry coat that Tony Todd wears in the film. 
Um, and also, so like, you know, Bernard Rose, the director, he's the one that kind of took it to Cabrini Green and made it an urban tale. And he was right in doing so. That That's what made it work. Yeah. Uh, Tony Todd sounds way more badass than what you just described. Absolutely. I can't. I mean, yeah, you can't. Tony Todd is fucking candy, man. Can't see it any other way. All right. Number six, I have The Crow from 1994. Based on the James Obar graphic novel of the same name, The Crow is my number one love story of all time. Absolutely. There's never been a question about it. I was <laughs> born and raised on this movie. Fuck you. <laughs> um, it's about this soon-to-be husband and wife, Eric Draven and Shelley Webster, who meet untimely deaths at the hands of some hoodlums. Shelley complained about the upkeep of she and Eric's apartment to the landlord, who was also a crime lord named Top Dollar, and he sends his goons to take care of Eric and Shelley. Uh, after raping Shelley and beating her, Eric is stabbed, shot, and thrown out of a window. It's said that if you die a brutal or unjust death, that a crow can bring you back to make the wrong things right. Well, one year later, after their deaths, Eric is brought back from the dead by a crow to avenge himself and his bride-to-be. What ensues is violence and rage that is justified, tragic, and beautiful. I truly cannot think of anything more romantic than loving someone so much that you would actually come back from the dead to avenge them. Anyone can buy you flowers, anyone can buy you jewelry or a card, but fuck, who's coming back from the dead? Incredibly romantic and sad. Eh, um, I think it's overrated. I, I listen to the hate online, though. It says what? the dude obsessed with the big Lebowski. I'll go there. Fuck it. Wow. You keep, you going to talk that about the big Lebowski, one of the greatest movies ever made? Anyway... Uh, knowledge snug for you. According to Empire Magazine, cocaine abuse was rampant on the set. Cameramen were shooting while high. The, <laughs> the crew were going to toilets to snort between shots. Oh, One crew member recalls uh, it being uh, somebody uh, sneezing, and it annoyed Brandon Lee so much that he said someone just lost $50. Oh, shit. <laughs> At number five from 1987, Hellraiser. Well, here I am talking about another Clive Barker short story. This case, The Hellbound Heart. Uh, I guess we'll call him a sexual explorer. Frank uh, tinkers <laughs> with a box while abroad, and he meets the ultimate in S&M experience. After he's torn apart, he's brought back to life after his brother and wife move into the house and spill some blood. Now Julia's Laura men back to the house for meals as Frank. I guess, I guess they're meals. I don't know if, yeah, how, how he really absorbs it. It's not really clear in the movie, but uh, it's food. It makes him whole again. Uh, it's the story of the lengths one woman will go for the best life she ever had. <laughs> uh the book is amazing and the movie's great. Uh, I, it's Some legendary, people say man. it's boring and I never got that. Like you're getting kills all the time. My, my sister and uh, mother are the same way. No, actually my sister, just my sister. My sister never got it. My mom and I did. I always loved the first Hellraiser movie. It's so just unique and, and just visu visually beautiful to look at. And just, it's one of those, it's like, it's grim. Like the, the rusty, bloody tools hanging off of like uh, pinhead's waist and the other cinnabite's waist but like at the same time it's like it's that 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 beauty in the macabre i don't know how to describe it there's something elegant but yet disgusting about that movie that just makes it beautiful to look at um 
knowledge nug doug bradley was actually pissed off and left the premiere party because no one knew who he was without the pin pinhead makeup on uh, he got no love or recognition for <laughs> guy damn that kind of sucks nicole when i made her watch it recently her one complaint was she's like where's the pinhead guy he's like hardly ever in this i'm like yeah but it's not a bad thing i'm like darth vader's hardly in star wars yeah that's but true. when he's there it's impactful pretty much like anything pinhead said and hellraiser is a memorable line from that movie yeah, everything he said is quotable you're right at number four on our love gone wrong list i have scream from 1996 in this west craven classic Sidney prescott played by nev campbell is stalked by a ghost face killer who was picking off students at her high school after a game of cat and mouse it turns out that the entire murder spree was done by two killers not one Billy and Stu, played by Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard. Billy is Sydney's boyfriend, and it's unveiled that Sydney's mother, being a slut, <laughs> I mean, we don't slut shame around here, <laughs> ruined Billy's family, and that this whole elaborate path of murder was to get back at Sydney and make her look horrible for what her mother did. Uh, now that defines love gone wrong. Uh, that was never love in general. That just means that this whole relationship, everything, was all just a ploy to just destroy Sydney. So, yeah, that's fucked. Let's face it, she's no Sharon Stone. <laughs> See, other people have lines that they remember from it. That's just the one that always sticks with me. I told because uh, last uh, Monster Mania when I met uh matthew lillard i had him sign slc punk but i would have had him like sign that on something from scream if i got it yeah that would have been awesome but uh knowledge snug for you uh the role of sydney uh was originally offered to molly ringwald because she was a favorite a favorite a favorite of screenwriter kevin williamson uh she turned it down because she said she'd rather not be playing a high school student at 27 i mean i understand but she definitely fucked up that was her comeback <laughs> that was her comeback and now where's your career molly yeah, you'd have been you, here six you, movies later yeah you you in the 80s you just sitting there with all your money now look at you <laughs> at number three we have maniac from 1980 joe spinell plays uh maybe the ultimate mama's boy uh which leads to love gone wrong uh pretty much every time he has a lady around he also has a love interest with his mannequins and they're not returning that love back to him. Uh, there was a remake, which I think might actually be better. It's pretty close with Elijah Wood. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. The remake doesn't have that grindhouse dirty feel to it that the uh, William Lustig film does. Like, And that's one thing that I've seen people say. And that is true. The original Maniac is one of those movies that is gritty and dirty and does make you feel like you need a shower after watching it. The remake doesn't have that. The remake is definitely more polished than that is a downfall, but I still feel that the remake's a superior film. Yeah, and it's weird because Joe Joe Spinell was in Godfather, and he looks nothing like he looked in The Godfather in this movie. He definitely looks like a fucking creep. Um, yeah, he looks like he sweats potato chips. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, like just a grease from the potato chips is what he's sweating. Anyway, here's a knowledge dog. The headless corpse in the end of the film is actually uh, the corpse of Jason's mother, Betsy Palmer, from the original Friday the 13th. See, they just shared her head? Yeah, just her body. Fucking weird. At number two on our Love Gone Wrong list, I have My Bloody Valentine from 1981. This is not the best horror love story, 
but it is the quintessential Valentine's Day horror movie. This 80s classic is about a love triangle between Sarah, TJ, and Axel. TJ left town and his girlfriend Sarah to start a new life. Since then, Sarah has hooked up with Axel, and they're happy. Until TJ comes back to town, begging Sarah to take him back and destroying his friendship with his once friend Axel. For Valentine's Day, they all bring their girlfriends down to the mine shaft that they all work at. Fucking terrible idea. <laughs> and a killer from the town's past, Harry Warden, who slaughtered people on Valentine's Day some many years before, decides to make a visit to the mine shaft and punish the teens for celebrating the holiday that the, t- that the uh, town swore to never celebrate. Or is the killer one of our protagonists? If you don't know, go watch it. Amazing movie. Real believable characters. That is very hard to find in early slasher films. Real believable characters. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's necessarily on its quality this high up the list, but, I mean, when you're thinking Love Gone Wrong and Valentine's Day, I mean, it's got to be up there. It's got to be top one or two. And uh, Knowledge Snug, the film was actually shot in actual mines, and uh, sometimes they were as deep as 900 feet. And they could only use certain lighting devices uh, because of potential methane explosions. No shit. And number one from 1935, Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, maybe the best movie of all the Universal Monster movies. It's it's up there. It's, it is by no comparison, in my opinion. And uh, this maybe might be one of the first Love Gone Wrong stories in all of cinema. Uh, Frankenstein's monsters demanded a mate. After forcing Henry Frankenstein to help create a mate for him, uh, it isn't happily ever after for these two. His uh, new potential wife uh, screams and rejects him. After being warned of his actions, that he'll destroy everybody there, the monster tells Pretorius and the bride, you stay, we belong dead, pulls a lever and destroys the lab and tower, killing everybody inside. I mean, the monster didn't want to be made, and he hates living. Remember the line, hate living, love dead. He, you know, he hates being alive. He didn't ask for this, and he wants a bride made for him so that he can have someone, just anyone, just one person. With them boldy necks. Who who doesn't think that he's a hideous freak or is scared of him or think of him like a piece of shit. So after being, you know, after being created like him, like John said, the bride hisses at him and rejects him. Uh, he's not even accepted by his only fucking peer. <laughs> yeah, and uses, that's rough. Yeah, and then he uses the line, we belong dead. Now, if that isn't love, love gone wrong, I, I, I just do not know what is. I do not know what is. And here's a knowledge note for those of you out there. I just recently found this out and it blew my mind. Uh, the bride's hair is actually red. It's not black or brown. It's red with the white stripe. If you look up a picture of Elsa Lanchester's wig online, you'll see it. Well, uh, we have a special guest for you, so we actually talked to Hannah Fearman about the role of Lily in both VHS and Siren, so uh, that's what we got up next for you here is a little interview. Today's guest has had roles in The Unwanted, American Hell, and Creepshow. You all know her as Lily, the succubus, from the VHS segment Amateur Night, and the feature-length follow-up Siren. Welcome, Hannah Fierman. Thank you for being on High on Horror. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. 
And uh, you've had a handful of horror roles on your resume. What attracted you to the genre? Well, it uh, it just kind of adopted me, actually. I, uh, I was surrounded by a whole bunch of independent horror filmmakers that I was good friends with. And I wanted to work with them because they were brilliant. And it just sort of embraced me. Well, were you a, a horror fan before you got into making horror films? Not really, but sort of, because I was a fan of a lot of horror movies, but I didn't consider myself a hardcore horror fan. Like, I don't have collections or, you know, posters on the walls or anything. And I, and I certainly couldn't name anybody from um, any famous movies like a lot of my friends can. But, yeah, anybody who says that they're not a horror fan is full of crap. And uh, do you have any favorite horror films? Yeah, uh, some of my favorite horror films. I, I really like um, I really like Jaws, and um, I enjoyed Scream when I was younger, the first one. And um, I, there's a, there's just too many to there's too many to count. Like uh, some really freaky ones, like Jacob's Ladder, just terrified me as a child. Um, yeah, a bunch of them. Well, those are all solid choices. So uh, let me ask you, I know you just said, you know, that you're, uh, you haven't really grown up, you didn't really grow up on horror. But now that you're into, you're into the mix of things, how do you feel about the current state of horror? And can you tell us like a current favorite horror film that you've seen that you're a fan of? Well, the, I think the current state of horror is, um, is a really good one, actually. I think that mainstream media has really embraced um, a lot of aspects of the genre and put it in pretty much everything to where it's, um, you know, it's even in cartoons. Like there's these little kids that are dressing up like little cartoon vampires and stuff like that. It's it's like, it, it's everywhere now. Um, and uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of amazing horror movies that are coming out soon. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the guys at Radio Silence's uh, new version of Scream. Those guys did the first VHS with us, and I'm a big fan of their work. Um, uh, anything Adam Wingard does, I love. It's he's fantastic. Um, uh, let me think. Let me think. Um, hmm. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing my movies that are going to come out. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them yet. I have a premiere in in Cincinnati tomorrow um, that's uh, called Terror Trips that just had a theatrical release. And um, I'm excited to see that on the big screen and uh, a movie that I did recently in Maine last winter called Time's Up is supposed to be almost done with its edit now. And uh, yeah, so those I'm looking forward to as well. Well, yeah, those those look and sound awesome. But uh, while we're talking about your uh, upcoming projects, well, what can you tell us about the upcoming film that you directed, Dark Circles? Well, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about a lot of aspects of it. I, uh, I haven't begun editing yet, but um, I'm really looking forward to that in the next month or two. And it's just got a lot of talented people. It's an excellent script. And we got some beautiful footage. So uh, that, that's all I can tell you right now. Okay, well, uh, we can't wait to see it. Um, this is actually your first uh, feature-length effort as a director. So I want to ask, why did you start directing? What attracted you to directing? Well, people ask me to. Um, my first directing job was for Dead by Midnight 2, which hasn't come out yet. And um, 
I did a segment called Hell Evangelist, which was about a crooked televangelist um, and a little old lady that sort of gets revenge, but mostly just takes advantage of him. Um, and uh, after I did that, people saw it and uh, trusted me and and wanted me to do this feature. And originally I was supposed to, uh, to star in Dark Circles, but um, obviously I didn't want to act in it and direct it with being so new as a director. So um, I gave myself a tiny cameo, but definitely not one of the leads. And um, yeah, I shot it with a bunch of people that I'd already worked with many, many times. And um, we just trust each other artistically. And so that's how it came about. Well, that's excellent. Uh, like I said, we can't wait to see it and find out more about it. Um, do, uh, well, you actually started out as an actor. So like, do you feel that starting out, having started out as an actor before directing helps you communicate with your actors when you direct? I think it really, really, I mean, I, I can't express enough how important it is to also understand um, and to be in the shoes of an actor before you start directing. It's just, it makes a world of difference. I've worked with directors that are not actors and, and, and just stick to directing. And I think that frequently they're lacking in um, a kind of understanding and communication that both actor directors have. Well, uh, is it more challenging? Do you find it more challenging to be an actor or a director? I think it's more challenging at this point to be a director just simply because I haven't done it as much. And also you have to be on full time and you're responsible for the entire feature versus when you're an actor, you're just responsible for your for your role. And that's that's enough. You know, that's that's a that's a big enough job to have. Um, but, yeah, I, th I think directing is a bit harder. And now uh, getting in the VHS, uh, how did you become involved with the project? Oh, David Bruckner is a friend of mine, and actually I was just talking to him today, and um, he asked me to be a part of it. Uh, we, we still had auditions, but uh, basically it was written for me, and um, I just trusted his work so much. I'd seen uh, his music video, The Fear. I'd seen his feature film, The Signal, um, and uh, several of, of his other things that he had done, and I just I knew I wanted to work with him. And so when he came to me with this project, I was just like, yeah, shoot, why not, you know? And uh, we didn't think anybody was going to see it or that it was going to go anywhere. So um, <laughs> that was it was kind of an easy choice because, um, you know, it was just me working with my buddies like I always did. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's how it all started. Yeah, and the role of Lily the Succubus is definitely one of the most memorable things from VHS. Uh, how much did you get to contribute to the role, and how much was that just David's writing? Oh, a great deal, because it was all very grassroots. Um, the script was ever-changing, and they basically let me do whatever I wanted as, as far as, like, her cadence, her voice her movements and and her aesthetic they let me change and adjust and work and we just worked together and developed the character uh from from the very very beginning now uh in the short uh patrick's definitely the like biggest asshole of that group you think if he left lily alone to do her thing like she would have just let him live patrick which one's patrick is is that joe sykes's character or is that Shane, the, the big... The uh, big Patrick, uh, Lily made it known throughout the entire thing that she uh, did not like him. 
Okay, I couldn't remember the character's name. It's been so long. Okay, yeah, probably. Probably it would have all worked out just fine if he just, you know, no means no, man. And he definitely gets a horrific death. Uh, do you remember how the effect was done where you guys just ripped his genitals off? Yeah, uh, so my character um, first rips his, his, his throat out and sort of absorbs the, his blood out of his body and then pukes it up all over him because she's evidently sort of allergic to this guy. Like she hates him that much that her body just expels him all over the hotel room. And, um, and then the, the actual uh, prosthetic for, um, for Joe was a couple of Easter eggs that were filled with some sort of gelatinous goo stuffed into a condom covered in fake blood. The, one of the makeup artists just busted out with it and was just like, hey, will this work? And we were like, that looks so horrifically real. Yeah, it, it, that, that's the kind of movie we were making. It was very, it was very hands on, <laughs> I guess you would say. <laughs> that yeah, that's uh, it's crazy how they do things like that. That's not what I would have would have expected that to be made of at all. Uh, what was the makeup process for you like? Was it like a long makeup process to do the kind of zipper face thing, or was that a quick, easy in and out thing? Oh no, it took forever. Um, I'm attention deficit, so I I don't sit well for very long. But it was uh, it was just constant retouching, and every time I got up and walked on the um, the feet, they were they were silicone. So I would just rip off the bottoms and I'd have to be back in the chair again and I'd snap off a nail. And one time I got really frustrated with the teeth and pulled them out and broke them by accident. And um, yeah, so it was just, it was a lot. I mean, I don't remember how many hours it was, but it was full body paint. And a lot of that, you can't really tell. It's quite subtle in the movie, but my entire body was painted. Oh yeah, it's it's one of those things where I guess it's uh, because of the way it's shot, all those details don't really show up, but the face is definitely the thing that uh, stands out. And um, you had mentioned how um, you know you didn't think that anybody was going to see you know the movie, you know, and you were joking about that. But after the love that Lily got from you know VHS, was there immediate talk of a spinoff or a solo film happening, or did that take a little bit of time to happen? There was immediate talk about it, actually. Um, we were already talking about it when I first read the, the short film, or the segment, rather. Um, we were already discussing how the, we thought that there was potential there to have a, um, a feature spinoff or, or a feature film made of it. Because like I said, we didn't think that anything was going to happen with this, whatever, this VHS thing that turned into a franchise. We were just like, oh, well, it'll be fun and be a good exercise, whatever. And... Um, and yeah, yeah. So we, we knew that the meat and potatoes were there. Well, that's awesome. Uh, we're glad. We're definitely. We're all glad that you know, uh, Lily definitely came back. And uh, you playing her for a second time in Siren. Uh, what did you want to bring to the role this time with her being the central character? Well, I, I just wanted to bring back the classic misunderstood monster and to expand the story a little bit and develop a little more understanding for her. Um, I also wanted to see, you know, her origin, which I think they could do more with and go further with, um, because there's a lot of exciting uh, mythology behind the siren or the succubus or the, you know, the harpy, the mermaid, whatever. Um, there's a lot of, of different myths around it. You have Greek, you have Roman, you have some bizarre, like, sub 
Catholic subset of of the uh, of the same demon, and it's just it's a fascinating fascinating creature, and I think that they could explore that further. Well, uh, that's I was going to ask you. Um, did you uh, get to contribute any backstory? Yes, I did. I did, but mostly with the with Siren, it was already written um, by uh, Ben and Luke, and I thought the script was really great. They did a really good job with it, and um, so yeah, I, they, they were always asking me for my input and being just really, you know, communicative and and, and letting me be hands on with the process. But I didn't really change anything um, that they had done for for Siren. Most of my workshopping was done with VHS, with Bruckner, and with. It was uh, you definitely did a, such a good job. You know, Lily is such an iconic character. So I have to ask you, was it hard portraying a creature like a succubus and making her sympathetic? I, it wasn't. It was not easy, and it was not written um, that way. And but I, I felt like it would be, it would be a bit boring if she wasn't sympathetic. So I definitely poured a lot into that, and. Um, and it was fun, you know. I'm an actor; it's my job. I like little challenges like that, and uh, I I think it worked out, and I'm really pleased with how it worked out, honestly. Oh yeah, it worked out great. You know, that's the thing. Like, uh, you're a little bit scared of her, but you like her. She's actually she's likable. That's it's it's the monster you love to hate. It's 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 perfect. Um, and and I, I yeah, you absolutely killed it. And I, so I have to ask you: Was Jonah the one? Did it work out, or are we going to see Lily on the hunt again at some point? I think he's a very satisfied man. You know, he's got he's got a lot of puppy puppy babies to deal with. You know, because he's the stay at home mom. He's he's chained to the nest, so he doesn't really have a choice. But I mean, he seems happy. Uh, was there any differences in the production versus working the short amateur night and working the feature film? Well, yeah, there was huge differences because with with VHS, I was working with all of my best friends on a short film locally and uh it was very compact within you know just a few weeks of us workshopping and um and i felt very uh in tune with everybody and, and there was just a lot of communication um with siren there was absolutely no communication we um we were given like a moment's notice to prepare for it and uh so it was all just fly by the seat of your pants no pun intended and um, I was also, although I was working with some people that I knew previously, they weren't actually my really good friends. So that, that made a difference. You know, I was surrounded by a lot of people I didn't know and never worked with before. Um, and there was some anxiety there. Not that I get anxiety from working with new people, but in that kind of extreme vulnerable circumstance, I think it did make a difference, you know, with just like being nude the entire time and being all night shoots and being isolated and alone. And um, so, yeah, it was an entirely different experience. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us today. And did you have any upcoming projects you'd like to share? Yeah, well, like you already mentioned, Dark Circles, um, which was previously called The Events Surrounding a Peeping Tom. And I'm not sure if it's going to go back to that title or not. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I, I think you guys are going to get a kick out of it. It's um, It's got some amazing performances from Damien Maffei and from um, Felissa Rose. They, they absolutely slayed it. I had uh, Terry Kaiser, um, who I just worked with for the first time on this, and he he is amazing 
<laughs> he, everything he touches turns to gold. The man is fantastic. I don't know how he does it. I worked, I worked him hard and he never lost any energy whatsoever. And, um, so I, I'm looking forward to you guys, you know, seeing that and experiencing that and, um, and you letting me know how you feel about it. And, um, I have a movie that I just wrapped last week called Dementophobia, which I've been working on on and off again for a very long time with this group called uh, Grand Line Creations. And I play a psychiatrist who is aware that she's losing her mind and the steps she takes to stop it. And um, that was a really wonderful character to have the opportunity to play is just because it was just, you know, there was just so many places one could go with it. And um, so I'm super duper excited about that one. And um, yeah, and Time's Up too. I'm really looking forward to seeing Time's Up, even though I was just an actor in it. Um, there was a there's a lot of really really gnarly kills in that, and I want to see how they turned out. And um, yeah, like I said, tomorrow I'm going to go see Terror Trips in the theater at the Cincinnati premiere, and I'm looking forward to that one too. I, I played the lead, and there was some wonderful performances by Cheney Morrow and Elsie Holt in that as well that I, I think you're going to really enjoy. That's great. You got all, all those projects going on. And uh, where can people follow you on social media to keep up with your latest projects? Well, basically, I'm real not creative. Uh, just Hannah Fearman on all social media platforms that I'm on, um, which is, you know, basically just like Facebook and Instagram. And I tweet every now and then. And that one's Hannah Rose Firm. And then I also have a, uh, I also have a website. It's HannahFearman.com that, um, I'm frequently updating. So if you ever want to know what's going on, just check that out. Oh, and I'm also on Cameo. And uh, thank you again for joining us today. And uh, come on and chat again with us, if you will. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me, both of you. And I really appreciate you reaching out to me. And um, yeah, yeah. Let me know how, what you think about my movies after they come out. All right. Oh, we absolutely will. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. Thanks to Hannah Fearman for joining us today. And I gotta say, I feel like having a sympathetic succubus on for our Valentine's Day episode is very on brand for us. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Definitely works. And if you haven't seen the OG VHS or Siren, make sure to go check those out. And also follow us online on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at High on Horror 420. You can email us at highonhorror420 at gmail.com and make sure to stop by our website, highonhorror.com and you can sign up for our newsletter and you'll get our latest guest announcements and newest episodes delivered directly into your inbox. Now, next week, we're going to cover the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, how many of these sequels did we need? How many remakes is this or reboots or reboots? Yeah, I've lost count at this point. Anyway... We're going to check it out, and we'll let you know how it is. Hopefully, Laurie Strode kicks his ass. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Laurie Strode. Oh, man. Yes, everything's copying Halloween, it feels like. Anyway, make sure to tune in next week and hear that. And uh, I guess that'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Bye, everybody. <laughs>